You're listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Tyler Jones. I'm your host. Thanks for listening in, whoever you may be and wherever you may be. May the Lord bless this podcast to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth. On the podcast today, we've got a couple of regulars. Jason Rowland, he's a senior pastor, one of our elders at Believer's Baptist, and another of our elders, Philip Castleton. And what we decided for this month, October that is, um, is that the first recorded Asking for a Friend podcast was released on October 2nd um, in 2019. So this is actually like the 55th episode. Uh, And so kind of as an anniversary of the podcast, we decided to kind of go away from answering questions and just speak a little bit on some of the more misused or misapplied or misunderstood stories within the Bible. And uh, the first one uh, kind of cracks me up because um, it's David and Goliath. And as a football player, um, especially one that was on a couple of really bad teams, um, we got the David and Goliath speech a lot. I bet you, you know? did. So I bet I can, you did. I can remember, um, you know, when when I was at SMU, we would we would travel um, a lot, and we, whether we were traveling on the road or we were. Um, at home, we would have some kind of a chapel before, um, you know, before the game. So like game day, we would go down, eat breakfast, and then there was an opportunity for you to go to chapel if you wanted to. So a lot of us did. And um, let's see, I think it was 2007 season. We were 1-11 that year. Wow. And so... I think like 10 times we got the David and Goliath speech. <laughs> we were playing like, you know, we were playing TCU and Texas Tech that were both, like Tech was ranked like number two when we played them, you know. And so they were obviously Goliath every time. Right, you know, we right. were the David. So <laughs> we were David like 10 times that year. Uh, um, the poor ponies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Poor ponies. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they had a good year last year. They actually won, won 10 games last year. So right. uh, it's been a long time since that happened. But anyway, um that's my story about David and Goliath. I think that would be maybe misapplied a little bit there. Um, Jason, talk but, about this. But, but what you have just said, that story that you just talked about, certainly would be an, a very common way that the story of David and Goliath would be used. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pregame speech. It's a halftime speech. Mm-hmm. It's something that um, is given so that someone's courage or someone's perseverance could be um, mustered up Mm -hmm. uh, against uh, the opposition that is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so that would be common. In fact, in thinking about this podcast, uh, one of the things that I did was went online and just looked up the David and Goliath story Mm -hmm. to see what were the common threads, what are the common themes that um, people typically understand about the story. And so here's some of the examples. Um, God can help us confront any giant. Mm -hmm. God can use anyone. Be bigger than your fears. Size doesn't matter. Make use of what you already have. Believe it's possible. Don't underestimate your capabilities. I mean, these are common applications to the story of David and Goliath. Uh, A few more. Um, uh, Take a stand. Trust God. 
Surrender your talents. Uh, look at past victories because David talks about fighting the bear and the lion and defeating them. And Goliath was no more than another bear or lion. And uh, the thing that we have to ask ourselves when we're looking at that story, is that what the author intended for the original audience? Did he intend for the original audience to take the story and say, well, David is myself. I'm David, and I've got these giants of despair or financial problems or relational issues, and I need to kill this giant, and I need to do it with the courage that David had. I need to do it with the same kind of talents, and size doesn't matter, and I, I can use whatever gifts I have to do this. That Did the original writer intend for the audience that he originally wrote to to understand the story that way. Yeah, Not, yeah, he didn't. Did no. He? And we spiritualize it is what we're doing. We're, right. right we're, but the other interesting thing is, I was, as you were reading that, I was thinking, every one of those inserts me into the text. Mm -hmm. Yes. Every one of those inserts me. Um, did you know, I've, I've read the Bible cover to cover, and I haven't found me in there yet. Except for when you're talking about the universality of sin and sinners, <laughs> and that all people are condemned, and and then you know John three sixteen says that all those who put their faith in Christ, you know, ultimately will, will they turn it to. So I, I read myself into the all there, but um, <laughs> right. you know because I I believe, but I mean it's just not about me, right. and, and we forget, and I think that's why. Um, this story is often misunderstood because what we should understand is that there's an immediate context. Yes. And then there's a broader um, picture. Um, you know, where does it fit in, in the context of Scripture as a whole? And, and what is it pointing forward to? Right. right. So the text that, that you find the David and Goliath story is 1 Samuel chapter 17. Mm -hmm. And up until chapter 17, Saul, King Saul, has been uh, prominent in the story. He is the first king of Israel. He is chosen by the people. And God has allowed... Saul to come to place as the king, but Saul has disobeyed in chapter 13 and chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Saul has basically disqualified himself. Mm -hmm. So God is now going to raise up David, who's anointed privately by Samuel in Bethlehem in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And now God is going to intend to put David in a place in which he is going to become prominent. He's going to become prominent in Israel, and he's going to become prominent internationally mm -hmm. because the Philistines are immediately going to recognize David for who he is. So God's intending to put David in a place in, in the immediate context in which he's going to be recognized as the replacement for Saul. Now, it does take some years. In fact, David becomes a fugitive for 12 years, and Saul pursues him, and we have the, the rest of the um, book of 1 Samuel is a lot of Saul's pursuit of David to kill him. David's unwillingness to follow suit and take the throne forcibly, but he's surrendering to God and submitting to God's purposes and plan. But for our story, um, David comes on the scene prominently as he shows up at the battle lines between the Philistines and the Israelites. 
and the valley of Elah is between them. And of course, Goliath, the giant, who we are given a good description of in Scripture. He's um, at least nine feet, nine inches tall by mm-hmm. uh, English measurements. And he would be uh, a hero of the Philistines. Um, he is magnificently dressed with great armor, uh, great weaponry, and he comes out every day, twice a day, for 40 days, defying anyone on the Israelite army to come out and meet him on the field of battle. So David shows up, and uh, he's going to take some provisions to some of his brothers who are fighting in Saul's army. So David's dad, Jesse, says to David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, go take these provisions to not only your brothers, but take these 10 cheeses to the big cheese, mm-hmm. to the commander. <laughs> <laughs> I, you couldn't do I had it. to get that in. I'm so sorry. You've been thinking about that for days. Oh, yes. I couldn't <laughs> could help myself. <laughs> Well, good, goody, you get back on to uh, your, um, yeah. your, your... So David shows up with the uh, provisions for the commander <laughs> and the sons, uh, the brothers, rather. And um, he happens, by happenstance, of course, mm-hmm. by God's providence, he shows up at the time that Goliath comes out and cries out his defiance against the Israelite army. And David listens to that. And so David begins to ask some questions. And he said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And they explained what the king, King Saul, had said. The king would make the uh, family and the nation free of taxes. He would give his daughter the king's daughter to the one who fought Goliath and defeated him and will give him great riches. So David then hears what the reward is, but his concern is not with the reward. His concern is who this Philistine is. For he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He can't believe that no one will go and meet this giant in the field of battle. Well, word gets back to Saul. Saul um, has David brought before him. David says, listen, I'll go fight the giant. Don't worry about it. I'll go do it. Saul's reluctant at first, but says finally, okay, well, why don't you put on my armor? David tries to put the armor on. It doesn't fit. It's not comfortable in it. He doesn't need it. He says, no, I'm not going with these things. And then he goes out on the field of battle to meet the giant. And, of course, that this is the iconic scene. And David approaches Goliath. Goliath is clothed with his armor and his weaponry. He's got his armor bearer before him. And David and Goliath move forward toward each other. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, 
ruddy, and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because we always emphasize that David had his sling, but he also had a staff. Mm-hmm. He's a shepherd. So he had his staff. And the Philistine, Goliath, says, Are you coming to me as if you were be coming to a dog? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Then the Philistine said to David, Come here, or come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That's verse 45. Mm-hmm. So the the way that I think that the writer intends for us to understand is that God's reputation is at stake, that God and his character and that he being the God of Israel is now being defied by a Philistine, an uncircumcised pagan. Who is he to mock God? And no one, Saul or any of those in his army, would stand up against this giant um, in the um, confirming of God's reputation. Mm-hmm. And, and God doesn't necessarily need us to confirm his reputation, obviously. But in this case, God is intending for David to come to prominence, as we said earlier, and he now is going to put to death one who would blaspheme actually blaspheme God and be, um, by demonstrating his blasphemy, uh, demonstrating that he is an unbeliever, he is a pagan. Mm -hmm. Now, verse 46 is key to our understanding too. Yeah, um, and this is, I think, in the bigger, grander scheme, I think this is what's being accomplished in this story. It says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. But I think that in the grander scheme, what's being communicated, outside of the immediate context where David is being established and Saul is being moved away, right? This is is initiated, right? And and God, um, it takes his choice... And, and and vindicates himself with his choice, right. not with the people's choice. Right. Right. Um, David versus Saul. Here, what we have is a prefiguring David as a type. You know, David as um, uh, one that uh, looks forward to the, ful- the perfect fulfillment, which we're going to see in Christ. Right. David as the deliverer of God's people, um, prefiguring Christ, who will be the one who ultimately delivers God's people. Here, David is is delivering God's people from a, a, a temporal circumstance, mm-hmm. but ultimately, what we see is that is a prefiguring of what Christ will do as He saves His people um, from their you know, eternal damnation and you know internal which destruction, is a, right, which is a greater enemy than the Israelites faced that day yes. on that battlefield. Yes, the greater enemy is the eternal consequences of sin. Yeah, and David wouldn't be the ultimate fulfillment of this because David. David's a man, and David's a sinner. We're going to see that, you know, if you follow on through the text, like you right. said in what is it, Second uh, Samuel nineteen, right, where he Second Samuel eleven and twelve, or eleven and twelve, where he, um, yeah, I'm sorry, where he, uh, 
you know, he's committed adultery and he's confronted by Nathan. And, uh, you know, so it's not that David ultimately is God's um, redeeming one. But but he is the Old Testament. Remember, Jesus said the Old Testament speaks about me. So um, we would be safe to assume when we read these stories that something about Christ is being communicated in these stories. And we're not talking about, um, you know, you be, you being able to, uh, you know, beat your giants or or something like that. Or even that God is going to destroy all of your giants as he is the ultimate fulfillment of David, which is true. He is the ultimate fulfillment of, of what David has accomplished here. But what David has accomplished in the redemption of God's people from a temporal um, setting, Jesus is going to come and redeem his people from an eternal one. You know, and so that is, I think, the the bigger, broader picture that's being communicated. Jesus says that the Old Testament speaks of him. When we read this story, we should recognize that Jesus is the perfect king. Right. So in Luke chapter 24, Mm -hmm. you have the words of Jesus as he's talking to the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Yes. So exactly what you're saying is right, Philip, in that um, the idea of the type is to see it as the type. It, It is pointing to Jesus because the type in our story, David, is not going to be the... Of total fulfillment. Up until 2 Samuel chapter 11, it certainly seems that David is the ideal Messiah, the one who is going to save his people, the one who is going to be recognized as the great Savior, Deliverer, Redeemer, because up until that point, he, he does all things well. He handles the fugitive years well. He handles coming into uh, the kingship very well. All of those things he handles with humility, with patience, reliance upon the Lord God. And we come to 2 Samuel 11, and he commits adultery with another man's wife, has the husband murdered. And suddenly then the reader is confronted with, he's not the one. Mm-hmm. He, he's imperfect. He is not who I'm looking for. I'm looking for one better. Yeah. I'm looking for one who will be able to uh, come to a temptation and overcome it, mm-hmm. to be the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior, and be without sin. Yes. That's the intent. Yes. Yeah. So the story of David and Goliath in terms of, of redemptive history falls there. Yes. And, and, and that would be, if we were going to take something away from the text... It's nothing wrong with the immediate context and what we understand about David and Goliath. And, right. and, and, but if we're going to uh, recognize it in the bigger picture, we, we do ourselves damage if we don't recognize that it's pointing forward, right? I mean, it is, it's communicating a, a, a truth about Christ, right. our need for Christ, our need for redemption, um, the truth that we are, are being defied. Right. Um, you know, that God has been defied and yet he will, um, it, it won't last, it won't stand. I mean, he's going to, his man, the man of the hour, right? Right. Christ Jesus has come and, and actually um, will, will provide redemption and, and satisfaction for his people. Right. So to finish the story, David approaches the giant, 
with a sling, uh, slings his rock, hits him in the forehead. Goliath falls face down. It's just as we see in 1 Samuel chapter 5 when the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant, which they misused, that is the Israelites misused, and the Philistines had taken it back to their cities and put it in their temple where Dagon, Mm -hmm. their god, dwelled. Mm -hmm. And if you recall, Dagon had fallen face down um, before the Ark of the Covenant. Now here the representative who cursed David by his gods, Mm -hmm. by Dagon, falls face down in defeat uh, because he has defied, he has blasphemed God. Right. You can't do that. No, you can't. Yeah. So the immediate context is not not me putting myself in a place where I need to show courage and on the football field or, you know, whatever circumstance I find myself. And, and certainly we can, perhaps we can make some subsequent application. If we say the main idea is this, mm-hmm. and here's what the author intended, but certainly courage is a good virtue to have, uh, trusting God, uh, putting aside the world's methods and and using uh, faith to be able but, to conquer. But the reason we trust in God, it, 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 if we read this story, the reason we trust in God is not because he gave David the strength to beat Goliath, but because what David points to is Christ, who did come, lived a perfect life, died a death, and was resurrected, right? right. Vindicating. So we, um, we, we have faith, we have security, we have trust, we have all those things because of what Christ actually accomplished, and all of that is prefigured by David. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't actually, and if our confidence is in what David accomplished, we have missed the point of the story. Our, our, our faith has to be in, the, in, God's, in, the, in David's God. Right. 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 And um, who's going to bring it all to right. satisfaction? Well, certainly this is a, a very popular story. I mean, most Christians hear the story of David and Goliath from early Sunday school age. And um, it is popular even outside of church life because even um, secular football uses mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. as a, a, a motivational tool. Um, and so we don't want to... We don't want to um, um, give the impression that it's not an important story. It is an important story. We just want to put it in its context, and we understand there are some things that you have to do if you're going to read your Bible right. And one of those is uh, context, making mm-hmm. sure that everything is in context. Uh, you don't want to ignore what happens before First Samuel chapter 17, when we're talking about Saul. You don't want to ignore what happens after First Samuel chapter 17, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, where mm-hmm. David ultimately fails and becomes um, less than the type that he needs to be. Um, you don't want to misunderstand the main point and, and make it, as we have said numerous times already, about yourself, to put yourself in the story. I'm not David. You're not. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, can't, I keep wanting to go back to that because, you know, I was talking to a man one day. Um, I was on a job, and, and this is a customer who um, was going to be a customer, and I think I talked myself right out of it um, because of this conversation. Um, he, 
he was uh, attending a church, and um, and I asked him. I said, "Oh, well, what drew you drew you there?" And he said, "Well, I was driving down the road one day, and and they had a sign, a marquee out front, and it and I'd been praying for a sign, right? And here's this sign, and it said what I had been praying. I had this vision, and anyway, I chose to go there, which of course now I'm I'm, I'm leery anyway. But we kept with the conversation, and at one point he was talking about how he likes to read the scripture, and he likes to take. Um, you know, um, all the personal names and take them out and write his name in that place. Right. And, and I, I kind of probably had a contorted look on my face when he said it. And I said, well, you can't do that. <laughs> I said, that's not about you. And he got angry. I mean, he got, he raised his voice and he got belligerent about, about um, me questioning his you know, his his Bible interpretive methods. He, um, he got mad at me and, um, ended up, um, I ended up not getting the job, uh, which, so, I mean, I, I, and I'm pretty sure it was for that reason, but nevertheless, um, I think it's so very common that whether you actually scratch the names out and write yours in, we tend to read the Bible that way. And, right. And that is to our detriment. That's right. Not, yeah. It's a man-centered to the uh, loss of focusing on God's story, God's glory. Yes. Yeah. And and I think, again, when you read your Bible, that is the theme. This, the theme is about God and his story of redemption. Jesus is the main character. Well, and it, if we understand it that way, then we recognize that our spiritual need is actually greater than our physical need, like we talked about a minute ago. Every uh, when, Earlier, when you were reading all the common um, ways that this book is, inter- this story is interpreted, every one of those uh, interprets a physical need, uh, uh, you know, uh, ultimately being most important. Right, right. Um, uh, it, it speaks t- not at all to the spiritual, but it it, it manifests to me um, that I need something uh, that, and this this book, this story, satisfies something um, physical f- for me, and and that wouldn't be the testimony to this at all. Right, and so, so one of the things that we do is we pull these stories out of isolation. I mean, we put them out, we pull them out of context, and we put them in isolation. Is what I'm trying to say, and then it it loses. Um, it's intention from the original author, mm-hmm. and so you have to think about um, you have to think about the genre of literature it is. Mm-hmm. You have to think about the context, as we said. Uh, you have to think about the historical reality, the story of redemption that's unfolding. So all of these then become keys to understanding any of these Old Testament stories, particularly the story of David and Goliath. Well, um, Tyler, you mentioned at the beginning that we've been doing Asking for a Friend for a year now. This is our 55th episode, actually. And um, I want to thank you, Tyler, for all of your faithfulness to help us uh, record and do all the technology on uh, each of the podcasts. And, of course, I want to thank Philip for all of his um, insight and conversation. Um, What he does best is talk. What I do best is try to stir him up so we'll talk more. <laughs> not hard to do, right? right. And so uh, I'm not so sure yeah. if that was a compliment. That might have been one of them underhanded yeah. dicks. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's worked well. If I think I could, you dumped hot yeah, coals I, on my head right there. Yeah, if I could just, uh, the key to the podcast is to make sure that I'm um, saying something that's going to get Philip mm-hmm. uh, speaking. <laughs> 
more um, intimated and, and um, more uh, definite. The contortion on your face that you had with that gentleman, yeah, I've seen it many times in the recording <laughs> of the podcast. I, I try to keep my cards close, but I don't. I, I can't play poker either. <laughs> no, but I, I, I love uh, Philip, and I love the um, insight and the help and uh, encouragement that he's given through these. And uh, I want to thank all the the uh, audience and those who are faithful listeners. And there's two or three of you out there, I suppose. And we appreciate the fact that uh, you would take the time to listen to these. And again, our prayer is always that these would be helpful to God's people, uh, be a means of grace and edification to them and uh, to those who listen. And uh, the Lord would be honored in what we say. Thanks for listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast. If what you've heard today has been helpful to you, please subscribe. On behalf of the elders of BBC, I invite you to a worship service at Believer's Baptist Church this coming Sunday. The Bible study hour begins at 9.15 and the worship service begins at 10.30. Grace and peace. Peace.